0: All right, everybody, good morning. Um, And I just wanna say thank you for that, uh, Tom, for this opportunity. And uh, just real quick, um, I just wanna give it up for the worship team. Um, I just wanna highlight them. I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you all this, but that last song, they actually wrote that themselves. Um, So let's give it up for them. Let's give them a hand real quick. Um, Yeah, just being here every day since October, uh, like Tom said, it's just like I've seen them in in their element, in their natural habitat, and I'm just telling you guys today, they really love the Lord, and they, they really give it all they have throughout the week um, to bring you guys what they do every Sunday. Um, so we're really blessed and fortunate to have them. Um, there's so many talented people on that staff, so I just wanted to highlight them real quick and give them a shout out. Um, I'm going to give you a few things about who I am. I don't want to spend too much time on that um, for the sake of time and just the fact that we're here to encounter Jesus. We're not here to hear, to hear me talk. Um, so real quick... Um, if you've ever received an email, um, if you're a first-time guest since October and you received an email or a text or a phone call from Michael, that's me, you can put a face to that. Um, and I've, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, um, I'll be here after the service. I'd love to talk to you, shake your hand, um, introduce myself, and you know, put a, a name to your face as well. Um, I've seen many of you just from being here, but I would love to get to know you um, personally. Um, I was born and raised in Georgia right here. Um, I grew up maybe 20 20 minutes down the street, Uh, went went to high school at Kennesaw Mountain High School right down the road. Um, Did my college at Lee University, which is in Cleveland, Tennessee, Uh, there's several ties to that school um, here at Riverstone. Uh, We have Rachel who's a missionary and then Kurt, he's uh, from Lee, I met Kurt there, developed a strong bond there, Um, and then came back home and actually did a graduate program um, in uh, education at Grand Canyon University. Um, so familiar face here. This is my area. These are my stomping grounds. Um, so I love this place and I'm thankful to be here today. Um, so if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're not going to read it yet, but just to set it up, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Um, let's open up with a word of prayer. There's going to be other scriptures, but that's going to be the main one that we're, that we're going to dig into today. So Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen. Uh, but not yet, just in a minute. Um, so if you'll join me in an opening prayer, and then we'll get going. So Lord, we just thank you uh, for this day. Um, we just honor your presence today here, Lord. Uh, we just ask that you would open hearts and minds to, um, to hear only what you would say, to receive only what you have to give, um, that you would drown out any other voice or anything that comes in to snatch what you want us to hear today. So Lord, we love you, and we pray that uh, we would grow in the knowledge of Jesus today. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Um, so real quick, I'm a big talk to your neighbor, touch your neighbor type of guy. And I love when people talk back to me. So if you hear something that excites you or something that you like in the sermon, yell back at me. I love that. You know, shout a amen, hallelujah, whatever. I love that type of stuff. Um, there we go. So real quick, um, it's Luke 19 is a very familiar passage. It's the story of Zacchaeus. So if you grew up in church or if you grew up in children's ministry, you know this story. It's very familiar. Um, It's one of the more famous Bible passages um, that we know of. Uh, But real quick, there's four things that I want to keep in mind that tie into the story that happened in the very chapter before that relates to Zacchaeus. So number one is the parable of the Pharisee, and the tax collector, Um, the story of the little children and Jesus. It's how he relates them to the kingdom of God. Number three is the rich in the kingdom of God. And then right before this story, Jesus had just come from healing a blind beggar and giving a man his sight back. So keep those in mind, and then we're going to bring these back um, as we finish off the message. So let's dig into Luke 19, starting with verse 1. We're going to end at verse 10. So Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, So he came down at once, and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So that last statement made by Jesus, that's a very familiar statement. Um, we read that statement. We use that statement as maybe a prayer point um, as we're thinking about a loved one or a family member who we want them to come to know Jesus. You know, that's, we know that. Um, and that's where this comes from. Um, but what's going on here? So the prior passages, Jesus had just come from traveling along the border, between Samaria and Galilee, and he's passing through Jericho. He's not intending to stay there, but he has to pass through Jericho to get to Jerusalem, which um, eventually everything would take place. You know, his death, his burial, his resurrection, all that good stuff, okay? And then among that crowd is a man named Zacchaeus. You know, he's kind of keeping out of the distance, staying in the background, but he wants to see who Jesus is. And the Bible tells us that he's not only a tax collector, but he's a chief tax collector. Um, So just to get a better understanding of what that means and who he really is, I'm gonna give a little uh, history and background um, of a tax system and the tax collector, and also we're gonna look at the perception of tax collectors, how the people of that day saw them, how they were viewed, all that type of stuff. Um, So a cheap tax collector, Rome would give them a contract, they would bid for a contract, and whoever put up the most money would get that contract, okay? And they had to meet a certain quota, as you do in business, um, and so he would hire out lesser functionaries, so to say, to go and collect that money. So if we're familiar with Matthew, um, one of Jesus' disciples, he was a tax collector. So we don't know if he, if he worked directly with Zacchaeus, but he would have worked under somebody like Zacchaeus. Um, the goal was obviously to make a profit, and which led to him um, oftentimes taking a lot more than he should, uh, more than what was required. And... One thing to note is that chief tax collectors they're very rich. So they were very wealthy in the society. They had more than most people. Um, they had more than enough, so to say. Um, so they were the upper echelon, so to speak. Um, so digging in, how did people view them? How were they seen by most people in this society? Well, William Simmons, who is an associate professor of New Testament up at Lee University, um, he gives a great summary um, in his book, Peoples of the New Testament World with the following quote, and I believe it will be up on the screen for us to follow. He says, in the gospels, the tax collectors are clearly viewed with disfavor. They're consistently joined with the likes of thieves, robbers and extortionists. They love their own kind and they care little for others. From the perspective of the pious, which is just religious people, the tax collectors live like Gentiles. Thus, in the view of many, the tax collectors are unrighteous and in need of repentance. This general disdain or hatred for the tax collectors in the Gospels can be explained on a number of levels. Um, So there's three levels that we're going to look at real quick. And the first one is that they were hated from a political standpoint. They were hated politically simply because they were taking money from their fellow Jew, from their fellow countrymen, somebody who was born of their own blood, who was supposed to have their back, all that type of good stuff. They were taken directly from them. And on top of that, they were giving that money um, to the oppressors of Israel or Rome, who would considered the oppressor of Israel. So not only are they taking from their fellow countrymen, but they're giving it to the very enemies or the people that are ruling over them and taking away their freedoms and all that stuff. So number two, they were hated from a religious standpoint. So the Pharisees were in on this hate too. And they were offended because the tax collectors, they refused to be separate um, from the Roman Gentiles. And if we know anything about the Pharisees, they're all about being better than, being higher and mighty than you and I. They love to keep the law and they love to show their righteousness in their eyes that they were better than everybody. And so the fact that the tax collectors were associating with these people, that just bothered the Pharisees. They were like, you're supposed to be one of us. You're supposed to be separate. What are you doing talking to them, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And thirdly, they were hated from a moral standpoint as well. So they have everybody just against them, okay? And they were hated morally because, primarily is because the tax rate, it was arbitrarily assigned, meaning that it was very loose. It was just kind of what the tax collector wanted or decided in his own mind. Um, so this, like we said, he often took more than he needed and he, he cheated, he robbed people out of it. Very corrupt, very coercive, uh, very intrusive. And for example, let's say you're out in the marketplace, you know, going out to get things for your family and you happen to pass a tax collector. Well, he could, at that time, he could just say, hey, you know, I'm going to go through everything you have and anything that's undeclared, I'm going to take it. You know, no questions, no ifs, no ands or buts. I'm going to take that. It's mine now. So he could just go through your things really anytime he wanted to. So it's, this has caused him to be looked upon with a lot of suspicion, um, very so-so, very iffy. Lastly, this is my favorite part, what about Jesus? How did Jesus see the tax collectors? Okay, so everybody else in this society, they don't like them, they hate them, trying to avoid them. What about Jesus? So it's important that, to keep in mind that Jesus, he is fully aware of the hatred for them. Okay, this isn't new to him He's not coming in here with no understanding of the situation. He is fully aware that they're cheaters, that they're robbers, that they're doing all these things to these people. But yet he says that an unrepentant person okay, is to be treated like them. And so for, them to, for him to say that, that's a bold statement from Jesus. To say that an unrepentant person is to be treated like a tax collector, that's like the lowest of the low in their eyes. Okay, and he also declares that a tax collector who takes his words to heart, who heeds his teaching, is actually more righteous than the elders of Israel. And that just blew things out of the water for the Pharisees. The fact that Jesus would say that a tax collector is more righteous if he listens to what Jesus has to say, that was just the last straw for them. Okay? They, that was just something that they did not want to hear. Um, and not only is Jesus nice to them, but he, he seeks them out. He pursues them. Okay, so I'm, I can think of people in my own life that when I see him coming, you know, I'm like, oh man, I'm really not trying to talk to this person right now. And I, I know we, ha- we all have those people, you know, you kind of you pretend like you have somewhere else to go, you kind of try to make it short and quick. I'm guilty of that too. Um, but Jesus pursues this, he pursues tax collectors, and not only does he pursue them, and he's not just nice to them, but he spends time with them, he gives them himself. Um, we, we read in scripture that, you know, Jesus, he makes Matthew his disciple, which opened the door for Jesus to dine at his house, which opened the door for him to get to know really a number of tax collectors. We don't know how many or who it was, but we have Jesus there seeking out the lowest of the low, not just being nice to them, but he's giving himself, his time, his energy, and he's just giving and giving and giving to the lowest of the low um, in those in their minds of that day. Um, so now that we have all that in view, now that we have a better understanding of um, how they were viewed, what they are, what they did, um, let's jump into this story here. We're going to look at Zacchaeus' actions, and then we're going to look at Jesus' actions. And I just trust that as I go through this verse by verse, that the Holy Spirit is going to kind of highlight some things that you need to hear for yourself, and I trust that you'll be able to apply it to your own life. Um, so verse 4, starting with Zacchaeus, it says that he ran ahead. And that he climbed a tree, which may not seem like a big deal, but running and climbing, especially in that day, I don't know about you, but if I saw someone like an adult after service running and climbing a tree, it'd be kind of weird (laughs) after this, frankly. But especially in that day, the fact that a grown man would run and climb a tree, that was just forbidden. You didn't do that. I also think of the story of the prodigal son when the father is afar off and he sees his son coming down and he starts running. Okay, that just, you just did not see that. That was just, you did not do that. It was considered a foolish thing. It it invited ridicule and shame. And it calls attention to his short stature. The fact that he was short, um, to see him climbing a tree, that was highlighted. And I don't know about you, but for me, I don't necessarily do things that highlight my insecurities or my weakness. Okay, so that's just, I don't just do things and be like, wow, okay. Mike, wow, he's really doing this to get his attention. He wants everybody to see this weakness and this insecurity that he has. We don't do that. As human beings, we just don't. Um, moving on to verse six, it says that Zacchaeus came down from the tree at once and he welcomed Jesus gladly. And that just made me think that his obedience to Jesus was not slow. It was quick. It was a swift, obedient. And I just thought about my own life. Like when Jesus called me to do something, like how many times I wrestle with it or I hesitate, And the fact that Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly and he came down quickly, that was just convicting for me. Uh, Moving on to verse 8, this is where we start to see Zacchaeus' change of heart. And we see him um, wanting to do things for the good now. Um, He says that he vows to give half of his possessions to the poor. And not only that, but he's going to pay back four times the amount to the people that he's cheated. Okay, and he's essentially admitting that he's been cheating and robbing and stealing from people his entire adult life. The fact that he would say that is him. I consider that a confession. Uh, he holds nothing back from Jesus here, um, and this is actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament law in that time, because um, if you're aware, let's say um, a neighbor goes and steals another guy's ox or or a cattle or something, and you know he's sitting around his house, and a day later or a week later he goes to that neighbor and he's like, hey man, like, I took your ox, and he voluntarily confesses, he would have to pay back the ox plus 20%, okay? But if he steals and gets caught, and he can't pay it back, let's say the ox dies or the cattle dies, um, he's gotta pay back four times to the original owner. And then lastly, let's say he's caught and he's allowed to repay, like the animal's still alive, he's gotta pay back double. So the fact that Zacchaeus is saying, I'm going to pay back four times the amount, that's the most severe penalty. That's the harshest penalty, according to the law. So the fact that he would say that in and of himself, you can just tell that he's like, wow, like my encounter with Jesus, it makes me want to do good here. He's not forcing me to do this, but just the simple fact that I'm talking to him who he is right now, I want to do this. So his encounter with Jesus, like I said, it brought about an immediate and a complete heart change in that moment, okay? Just one simple encounter with Jesus just turned everything around for him. So now let's look at Jesus. Um, what did Jesus do in this story, and how does that speak to us? Uh, number one is that he went to where Zacchaeus was, okay? So he pursued Zacchaeus, and he acknowledges Zacchaeus' actions of running and climbing, and that made me think of uh, in James where it says that God gives grace to the humble. So the fact that he was running and climbing like a little child Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, I see that. I'm going to come to where you are. I'm going to encounter you today. And also what um, society considered foolish, Jesus saw that as faith. Okay, so there's many times when, um, you know, I've been places, I've been in a moment and God's like, hey, like, do this. And I'm just like, wow, I really don't want to. You know, I'm going to look so stupid doing this. You know, everyone's looking at me. Like, there's got to be something else I can do, you know? But this seems so ridiculous. And he's like, hey, just do it anyways. Um, Number two, he calls Zacchaeus by name. And the funny thing is that if you look at what Zacchaeus' name actually means, it means innocent or pure. And it's funny because we've been talking about his lifestyle and his character before this. It's far from innocent and pure. It's anything but that. Um, So I just thought the point is that when Jesus calls you by name, he's calling you what it really means. Okay, so he's not calling you Zacchaeus, you know, the liar, the cheater, the stealer. But he's saying, hey, innocent one, hey, pure one, remember, come down from that tree. I'm coming to your house today. And it just reminds me that we're not what society says. We're not what people say. But we are who God says we are. And Jesus proved that. And then the last thing with that is that Jesus notices you when you feel unnoticeable. So there was a whole crowd around him. We don't know how many, but I'm just going to estimate hundreds upon hundreds. And the fact that he saw Zacchaeus in a tree, maybe he seemed unnoticeable, but Jesus was like, hey, I see you. I'm going to come out for you, and I'm actually going to give you myself. Um, The next thing is that he, with him inviting himself to Zacchaeus' house, you just did not do that, okay? Similar to running and climbing, you did not invite yourself to somebody's house, especially in that day. Um, It's it's kind of weird. Um, Not weird, but out of the norm or out of the blue, if we do that today, like, hey, man, I'm coming to your house today without, like, a good invitation. But especially in that day, the fact that he was like, I'm coming to your house, you just didn't do that, okay? Um, And this angered the crowd. This really kind of just broke their back because they didn't like Zacchaeus, number one, and number two, Jesus had just come from healing um, a blind beggar's sight, you know, as we remember, so they're probably pumped up. They're probably like, "Hey Jesus, like you are who you say you are. You know everything that you do, like it's been good so far." And then He just totally flips the switch on him. is like, "Hey, I'm going to this guy's house." That is just like, "What is he doing here?" You know. And then Jesus, if we notice, He didn't say, "In order for me to come to your house, Zacchaeus, you must do this, this, and this. You must pay back everything you've stolen." You must go make all your wrongs right and then I'll come to your house, but I'll I'll wait for you to come back. No, he just said, Zacchaeus, I know you, I see you, I'm calling you by name and I'm coming to your house and that's it. And then the last thing with that is that Zacchaeus thought that he was preparing a table for Jesus, but really it was Jesus who was preparing a table for Zacchaeus, okay? So just the fact that he was going to Zacchaeus' house, he wasn't the one preparing the table. Jesus was preparing the table so that Zacchaeus could come into his own, encounter God's grace, and have that change in him that we saw. Um, Verse 9 and 10, he says that salvation has come to his house. And then he calls him a son of Abraham. And if you remember in John chapter 8, this is where Jesus and the Pharisees are having this little argument about who the real children of Abraham are and who, who they were in that day. <clears throat> and the Pharisees are like, we're the children of Abraham because we've done this, this, and this. We've kept all the law. We're perfect. And so we're the, we're the true children of Abraham. Jesus is like, actually, you're not. Because if you were, you would know me. You would recognize me and see who I, who I really am, that I'm, in fact, the Messiah. And he's actually, he says, actually, you're children of the devil. Um, so he just flips it right on their head and is like, actually, you're not who you say you are at all. <clears throat> Um, so those three stories that we mentioned at first, I want to bring them back around here um, just for a brief moment. Um, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Um, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So number one, it relates to that. And just remember, this is the, uh, the chapter right before. Okay, So Jesus highlights the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the little children in the kingdom of God, and the rich in the kingdom of God. And so all of these, they applied to Zacchaeus, the fact that he's a tax collector, he was rich, and then he's running and climbing like a little child. And so I just thought to myself, was it possible that Zacchaeus had heard these stories through the grapevine or maybe um, just through people talking and that he was so desperate for a way out of his situation but he didn't know how to be good that he just had to see Jesus. He had heard Jesus was passing by and he's like, man, like... He's talking about tax collectors. He's talking about sinners. Um, he's talking about rich. He's talking about me, you know? And he's about to pass through my, my town, my area. I have to see him. I have to get a face-to-face encounter for myself. And did he want what Jesus had to offer so badly? Um, and the second thought was, could it be that after hearing of these things, is that his heart slowly began to change? You know, maybe he's like, wow, like, this Jesus guy, like, Everybody else hates me, but the fact that he's telling these stories that apply directly to me, you know, maybe he really is who he says he is. Maybe he, maybe he is this, um, the Messiah. You know, I just have to check it out. And I just thought, like, maybe his heart slowly began to change, and then when the opportunity finally presented itself, Zacchaeus was not going to let anything stop him from seeing Jesus or confirm what he had heard. Um, the fact that he was running ahead and climbing a tree, he was like, I have to encounter Jesus today. So next, we're going to make the uh, connection with Jesus and Jubilee and um, the fact that Jesus brought Jubilee to Zacchaeus um, because he fulfilled the law. He didn't abolish it, Jesus says. Um, And then Zacchaeus' actions made room for a Jubilee moment to occur in his life. Um, So what what am I talking about when I say that? Like, what do I mean by a Jubilee moment? So if we're familiar, I'm sure you've heard that term. It comes from Leviticus chapter 25. And I believe that it's a foreshadowing of what Jesus was gonna do on the cross for us eventually. Okay, And it comes from Leviticus 25, um, eight through 12, and then 18 through 22. Um, we're not gonna read those. You can you know, mark those down and go back and read yourself. But I'm gonna highlight just some things and how it relates to Jesus and Jubilee and how Jesus bridged that gap and how Jesus really is Jubilee for us. Um, number one, it was a time of rest is that there was no planting or harvesting uh, during, during Jubilee. So every 50th year was a year of Jubilee. Everybody rested, you weren't allowed to work. All the land was returned, all the slaves were freed. Um, it was a time of rest for everybody, okay? So I just thought about when, when Jesus says in Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. Okay, so the fact that we can um, stop striving, stop keeping the law for God, Um, we can rest in Jesus for that. Um, Number two, it was a time of restoration. So like I said, anyone who owed anything, all the debt was canceled. Um, If you had to pay back somebody for something, you didn't have to pay them back anymore. They're completely forgiven of all debt. Um, And then Zacchaeus, um, he restored what he stole from others, but Jesus restored what the enemy stole from Zacchaeus. So think about that for a second. The fact that his name meant pure and innocent. So while he's thinking, like, I'm going to go back and pay all these people back, Jesus is like, I'm going to restore to you your innocence and your purity. His sins were forgiven. He was accepted into the kingdom of God. And I just thought, um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. And we, we read that Zacchaeus was made new in a moment. Um, and I can just imagine the ripple effect that it caused. You know, Jesus was like, I'm going to pay back everything I stole and then fourfold. So I can just picture in my mind him going back from all the people that he had wronged. He's like, hey, here's your money back, but also here's four times. And they're just like, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, why are you even here? And that just, like, that opened the door for him to be like, hey, I encountered Jesus. You know, everything that you've heard, everything... Um, that He's been doing, like it's real and it's true, and I'm here right in front of you, restoring everything that I stole from you, because He restored everything that was stolen from me. Um, as we get to the end here, um, next it was a time of freedom. Like we said, the slaves were released and they were uh, they were returned to their families. Um, is that Jesus brought freedom from sin in His old way of life, Jesus Zacchaeus. And then that relates to Galatians five, chapter one, or five, verse one. It says, "It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm them and don't let yourselves be burdened by yoke of slavery again." Um, and lastly, it was a time of celebration. Um, I can just imagine the the time of when Jesus was at his house and sharing that meal with Zacchaeus. Just the celebration that it was. You know, just the, the great time that they had. The fact that Zacchaeus didn't have anything to hide anymore. The fact that everything was out there. All of his secrets were laid bare before the Lord and that he had had that heart change to relate that. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I'm restoring everything and I just want to sit and enjoy your presence in my house today. Um, and then that relates to Luke 15:10, where it says there's joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Um, so uh, we're going to go into a time of ministry time here. Um, I really want you guys to... Maybe if something hits your heart um, and you're just like, wow, like that really spoke to me, that really related to me. Um, take a second, just to, just to think on it, take a second to really let that mull over in your heart, let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Um, i want to invite our teams to come on up um, and get in place and just a few things to think about um, if you're thinking about whether I should go up or not. Number one is if you need prayer today for anything, relational. <laughs> physical, emotional, spiritual. Guys, our team's like, this is what they're here for. They love to do this. They're not here by obligation. They're not here because they're weak to do it, but it really is a a joy for them. Um, And they love giving themselves to this this ministry. Um, If you just need a refreshing from the Lord today, I want to invite you to come. Um, Maybe nothing serious is going on in your life, but you're just like, hey, it's been a while since I've received prayer. Um, I want to invite you to come. Um, and just to acknowledge that stepping out and coming, that's an act of faith. Like God honors that faith. Um, So if you need healing and restoration today, you come up here. We're not in a hurry. We're not in a rush. Um, Our teams are gonna stay as long as they need to. Um, I'll be up front. If you wanna come and talk to me, um, I would love to pray for you as well. Um, So Jesus is here. This is the spot today, and he's calling us all really down from our trees, and he wants to come and dine with us today. So let him open that door, thanks.